Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, a journalist with the news and lifestyle website ConnectingVets.com. Now today we'll hear a fascinating story about a Korean War Marine Corps veteran, Sergeant Reckless, and efforts to move the government to finally honor this incredible Marine with the right to be buried and remembered at Arlington National Cemetery. It's a right this decorated Marine currently does not have, because she is a horse. We'll hear more about the battlefield heroics of Sergeant Reckless later this hour. But first, we want to start with some important news from VA regarding health care and benefits. The VA is urging eligible veterans to apply for PACT Act health care benefits before the window closes on August 10th, one year after being signed into law. And here to shed some light on what vets need to know is Army and Iraq War veteran, now VA Press Secretary, Terrence Hayes. Terrence, always good to have you on the show. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Phil. Let's unpack this. The PACT Act. Uh, Maybe rewind first those that aren't immediately familiar but dying to know more. Uh, What is PACT and uh, what does it do for veterans? Yeah, PACT Act is perhaps the largest healthcare and benefits expansion in VA history, Phil. And what I want veterans to know who are listening right now and survivors is that this impacts Vietnam War veterans, Gulf War veterans, and post 9-11 veterans who potentially came in contact with burn pits, Agent Orange, and other toxic exposures or substances because of their service. And you can learn more by visiting va.gov slash pact. And if you have any of the 23 new presumptive conditions there on that website, stop everything you're doing, give us a phone call, sign up for your benefits today, because it's time for us to take care of you just as well as you've taken care of us. Right. Um, and if I can just underscore real quick, 
throughout my conversations with you, Terrence, over the years that we were fighting for PACT to get pushed by Congress, to get pushed through Congress and signed into law by the president. Can I tell you, Vets, you know, you were in Iraq. You you served. And I, I talked to a lot of press secretaries on the congressional level that didn't feel it like you did. And every conversation we had over the course of those years was was sincere, genuine. And I know that 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 you mean this, that the VA, although it's a huge body and it seems like government and it's 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 maybe slow to move and not always quite as agile as as our lives can be. You were there. You were there and and you wanted to see this past as much as every veteran that's about ready to receive the services, which leads me to my next question. Who can apply for the benefits under the PACT Act? Yeah, Phil, this is uh, this is personal. And that's why I'm doing a full court press to notify and educate as many veterans and survivors as possible. Again, this goes back to Vietnam War veterans. You know, we need to ensure that our Vietnam War veterans who may be dealing with hypertension file for their benefits today. Gulf War veterans, we need to make sure that they're taken care of. And post 9-11 veterans like myself, you know, I want to ensure that they have all the information readily available to them so that, again, VA delivers on its promise to taking care of them just as well as they have taken care of us. Which brings us to the deadline here. And to me, it sounded a little bit like I was like, well, why is there a deadline? We, we've come so far now to finally get VA to get Congress, to get government to help us and give us the ability to make claims, receive benefits and get our health taken care of in all those ways. But there is a deadline. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yes, I wouldn't call it a deadline because what I want to make crystal clear to veterans and survivors is that you're able to take advantage of and file PACT Act claims today, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. But what I want to make clear is this this August 9th timeline is that any veteran or survivor who applies for their benefits between that time frame is potentially eligible to receive backdated benefits to when President Biden signed the bill into law of last August. So you can see that the potential of how how many months of benefits could be available to veterans and survivors. And that's why this is important that folks sign up immediately so they don't leave those benefits on the table. But to any veteran who may sign up after that time frame, they still are eligible for benefits. They just won't be eligible for the backdated benefits. And to those veterans out there who may not be totally prepared to file that complete claim, you can still file that intent to file and and basically hold that slot there. And then, again, have that eligibility to, to receive those backdated benefits. So what does the veteran look like or what is the veteran that 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 may not be able to do it now? Is that a veteran that maybe hasn't had a physical in a while and doesn't even know if they're ailing? Or is that a veteran that is unsure about their medical state right now? I mean, like we talked to me about the kind of veteran that would want to maybe mark that I have an intent to file, but I'm not going to file today. It could be that veteran who may need to uh, receive documentation from their civilian provider. Uh, it may be that that veteran who may receive need to receive their records from from VA to hold that slot. It may be that veteran, as you just stated, that doesn't know if he or she actually came in contact with toxic exposures or toxic substances. And to those veterans, I want to specifically talk to them and say, listen, if you're already enrolled in our VA healthcare, 
please contact your local VA medical center and get an appointment with your primary care physician to receive what's called a toxic exposure screening. Over 2.5 million men and women have already conducted those screenings. I've conducted it myself as well. It's easy. It's simple. Um, it's a series of questions that potentially leads to other testing and maybe a diagnosis and potentially a treatment plan. But then to those veterans who who are not enrolled in our healthcare system and wanting to know about this toxic exposure screening thing, I'm encouraging you to please call us at 1-800-698-2411 or visit va.gov slash PAC to find out more information on how you can enroll today and see a primary care physician so you can uh, seek that toxic exposure screening to determine if you indeed have come in contact with toxic substances. And as we look at what we're actually getting here, you know, I hear these words. And again, when we talk about government stuff, you know, there's a lot of words, benefits and packages and entitlements and enrollments. And there's all these big words and, and, and it's hard to kind of get your head around what you're actually getting. What types of benefits and health care can veterans access thanks to this PACT Act? Yes, because of the PACT Act, again, it affords VA the opportunity to open the doors to more veterans than ever before for, for health care. And we want every single veteran who departs the military to seek VA for their health care. PACT Act affords those opportunities. That's number one. Number two, on the benefit side of the house. Obviously, there's disability compensation benefits tied to many of these conditions. That's why it's vital that folks sign up today to get this done ASAP, but also to our survivors. Not only are there monetary benefits to them for all the things that they have gone through and the time is taken for them to get these benefits in their hands, but also they have things like educational benefits and other entitlements available to them as well. So again, this is critical that we continue this education process to get this information out to every single individual that this potentially impacts so they can take advantage of it and get the benefits in their hands to date. So it is a combination of MD and Moni, and you do not want to overlook either because you are entitled to them all. So great stuff, man. Really appreciate that. Again, where do we go for more information? I heard you hit the phone number a second ago, but hit me up one more time. Where do I get more info on all of this if I want to make a PACT Act claim? Yes, if you want to make a PACT Act claim, immediately go to our website first at va.gov slash PACT, and that's P-A-C-T. You'll find all the 23 presumed conditions there. And if you have any of those conditions, any of them, stop what you're doing. It's automatically assumed it's because of your service. The burden of proof is no longer in your hands as it should have never been. And you have uh, the potential to receive benefits today. You can also call 1-800-698-2411. And we have folks readily available to guide you through that process also. Or you can visit your local and county veteran service office or your local DAV, VFW, American Legion. And they have accredited service officers by VA to provide you the assistance free of charge to apply today. Always great to talk to you. You know, as a veteran, first and foremost, Terrence, you always take my call. You always got a seat in the guest chair here at Iron Veterans, man, because you're shooting straight with us. And I appreciate that. I know the veteran listening does as well. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Phil.
The American Veterans Center invites you to attend the 2023 National Memorial Day Parade. Memorial Day afternoon, Monday, May 29th at 2 p.m. along Constitution Avenue. Join thousands as we honor the sacrifices of our military across the ages, featuring musical performances, marching bands, celebrities, and active duty troops. The parade is presented by Boeing and made possible with support from American Airlines, Lidos, and Sunbelt Rentals. To learn more about the parade, visit NationalMemorialDayParade.com. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy vet and journalist Phil Briggs. Now today we're going to discuss one of the bravest Marines to serve in the Korean War, which is often considered America's forgotten war. In a recent article on ConnectingVets.com, Veterans Affairs reporter Julia Ledoux captured the story like this. It's no secret that some heroes have four legs. You can count Korean War and Marine Corps veteran Staff Sergeant Reckless among those heroes. The Mongolian mayor also received a Purple Heart. Currently buried at Camp Pendleton, California, a Change.org petition organized by former Marine Tank Commander Dylan Clark and president and founder of Three Pearls Charities, Jamie McLaughlin, seeks to allow Reckless a proper burial at either Arlington or Quantico National Cemetery. I recently spoke with Jamie and Dylan, who shared the incredible story of this horse that is and will forever be a United States Marine. I want to welcome both you and Jamie and Dylan to the show. How are you both? Well, Phil, thanks for having us. Yeah, doing great. We're so excited to be here. Indeed. Anytime I could talk to a spirited attorney doing the right, fighting for the right cause and uh, a devil dog there who never gives into a fight. Uh, Dylan, just glad to have both of you on the show. Uh, Let's start, Jamie. Bring us up to speed here. Sergeant Reckless and a horse that has just given its all and deserves this heroic recognition. Bring me up to speed on the backstory. Yeah, that's right, Phil. So um, during the Korean conflict in 1952, uh, the the recoilless rifle team of the 2-5 and the Marines needed a pack animal. The recoilless rifle shells are large shells. They're 75 millimeter and they weigh a lot. And a Marine could carry maybe two or three of them at a time. And it's hard to keep the guns, you know, firing if you can only bring two or three shells at a time. So Eric Peterson had this idea to find a horse for his unit so they could um, get the, get the guns loaded faster. So he went to the racetrack in Seoul and found a racehorse there and, and he bought her and took her back and she was trained on how to carry this ammunition. But more than that, she was trained to do a lot of different things. She ran communication cable. She was taught to step over and avoid barbed wire she knew to go to her bunker when they told her incoming and when they, she couldn't make it back, they'd tell her to hit the deck and she'd get down, drop down to the ground. And Dylan, as a former Marine, can you imagine the kind of training that that animal must have had to have and the environment that they had to work in? I mean, the Korean War, you know, it's called the Forgotten War. We just never think about it. I can only imagine, Phil. I uh, I was never deployed, but I know at Outpost Vegas, it was a precarious situation. It was named Outpost Vegas because command felt like it was a gamble whether they could ever, uh, whether they could even hold the position. So uh, when the Koreans started to come over and advance on the position, 
uh, uh, one of the most intense battles of the Korean conflict ensued. And uh, during that time, Reckless would run up and deliver the ammunition and then run back injured Marines. Uh, almost all of her runs, she did this without a, without a lead, without a rider. She did this on her own. And um, the battle was so intense that there were so much, so many rounds going back and forth that they were actually bursting in the air against one another. Rounds were actually colliding midair. And over the course of that battle, Reckless was wounded twice, uh, but she refused to stop going back to the front for her Marines. They, uh, they tried to actually hold her back after she was injured the first time, but she refused. She, she wanted to go back to the front for her Marines. Uh, she, refused to give up. She embodied everything that um, the Marine Corps is about. So while I can't speak to her combat experience, I can only imagine uh, what she went through. And I have tremendous respect for what she did. Mm. Really defines that connection between humans and horses. You know, we've heard about this before, the horse whispers and how like horses have like a very uncanny ability to relate to human beings, you know, special needs, uh, veterans of PTSD, folks that just need a love and a connection with another being. And sometimes they can't find it in fellow humans. That speaks to, man, horses have this sixth sense that allows them to connect with us. And it's something we completely forget about in our daily lives and grind as we're all basically addicted to electronics these days. Uh, That's just so moving. Dylan, share with me how you came about this story and how you got involved now with this legal fight to give her the heroic honor that she deserves. Sure. Yeah. So I was uh, going through officer candidate school back in 2015, and as a part of the uh, graduation portion of it, so the last week of candidate school, you go through the Marine Corps Museum. And in the Marine Corps Museum, there is a little exhibit for Reckless, and it shows, uh, it has a little thing about her, her heroics at Outpost Vegas. It has a little wax statue of her with her medals and her rank on it. And um, that that story of her just kind of stuck in the back of my mind for a few years until I took an animal law course at Lewis and Clark Law School. And uh, in that course, the professor explained that under American law, animals cannot have rights and they cannot hold responsibilities. Um, that is that struck me as strange because having official rank under the UCMJ as well as receiving medals is um, those are rights and responsibilities under federal law. So what I ended up doing is writing a term paper uh, uh, kind of exploring whether Staff Sergeant Reckless actually had uh, actually was an animal that held rights and responsibilities. And Jamie later picked up that term paper and, and greatly expanded on it. Yeah, Jamie, talk to me about your thoughts when you read the term paper. You are, of course, an animal and environmental law attorney. Uh, what spoke to you? Well, um, I just couldn't believe the story of this horse. I'd never heard of her in my life. And I had um, some interest in military animals prior to meeting Dylan, especially uh, military working uh, working dogs and stuff like that. So I was shocked by the story. And from what I know about horses, I just couldn't believe that she had actually done these things. It's very counterintuitive for a prey animal to behave in such a way. So I read what Dylan wrote. And then my next thought were, well, are these really official awards? 
Um, did she really get official rank? What does this mean? What are the requirements? So I went through um, the U.S. Code to understand um, these awards, how they are awarded, what the qualifications are as far as time and grade, time and service, all of those different things. And I really pieced together the fact that it was correct. She had actually earned all of these things. The awards were proper. So she had fulfilled the requirements for the awards. And when I did a little bit more research, I realized that she was uniquely positioned as the only animal in military history in the United States to have received official awards. There are a lot of unofficial awards for these animals. You'll all often hear when it comes to MWDs, you know, that dog outranks you. You better treat your dog well. Um, you'll see, see maybe a dog was given a purple heart. But those are never official. So the dogs are not rank is not bestowed upon them. They do not earn that rank. So it's an unofficial rank. And the awards are usually from a fellow officer, maybe their handler, and they will give their award to their dog. But there was one dog in World War II, uh, Chips, and Chips was an army dog and uh, was responsible for taking down a German officer himself. And he was given the Silver Star. And that was an official award. However, there was a lot of pushback about that. And the army officially rescinded Chips' award. And that leaves Reckless as the only one. Let's talk now about um, you know, what we want to see happen. And I know that obviously for military heroes, you know, we we honor them at the National Veteran Cemetery in Arlington. And talk to me about that campaign. What is it we're looking for? Yeah. So currently, Staff Sergeant Reckless is uh, is laid to rest at Camp Pendleton. She has a small monument there outside of where Step Stables used to be. And uh, right now, no one can really go visit her. She's she's on base, so they'd have to get uh, permission from command to go on there and pay their respects. So what we would like to see happen is we would like to see uh, Reckless's remains relocated to a veteran's cemetery, either at Quantico, near the Marine Corps base, or at Arlington. The rank in the Purple Heart deserves recognition. This horse was so heroic during the Korean War that she became the pride of the Marines who honored her with the rank of Staff Sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps. The Marines trained her to step over communication lines, get down when there was incoming fire, and to ignore the sounds of battle. During the fight to retake Outpost Vegas in 1953, she made 51 trips on her own to the firing sites. She carried over 9,000 pounds of ammunition and walked over 35 miles through open rice paddies and up steep hills through artillery that was exploding at the rate of 500 rounds per minute. We'll return now to our conversation with former Marine Corps tank commander and veteran Dylan Clark, who, along with animal and environmental law attorney Jamie McLaughlin, make the case that Reckless deserves to be buried and enshrined at Arlington National Cemetery. And we'll answer the question why this horse is truly more qualified for these honors than the working dogs who have also served bravely in battle. We feel that that's that's what should happen because her rank as well as her purple hearts 
deserves recognition. So uh, I think that she needs to be in a, in a military cemetery to uh, properly acknowledge what she achieved and to properly uh, respect the rank and awards that she received. And of course, being on a military base and having your memorial there, a statue there. Yeah, you brought up a good point. The general public will never see that because the majority of civilians will never have access to Camp Pendleton, where she's currently buried. Jimmy, let me ask you, why why Arlington, or as Dylan suggested, maybe Quantico, but why there and not just a public cemetery in, you know, the city she is from? That's a good question, Phil. So veterans are entitled to benefits. And Reckless served our country heroically and saved thousands of lives. She earned those benefits, and she should be given the benefit of being buried in a national cemetery. She qualifies for it. Specifically, Arlington or Quantico would be great, probably the best places for her. But Arlington also has heightened requirements to be buried there. With her purple heart with one star, so equivalent to two purple hearts that she received for her two injuries, Reckless qualifies to be buried there. Arlington is the location of two very important burials that are meaningful for Reckless, and that is um, General Randolph McCall Pate, who was responsible for her promotion to sergeant and staff sergeant and the former commandant of the Marine Corps. He is the one um, that promoted her, and he is buried there. I've visited his grave at Arlington. It's a beautiful monument. Um, The other person of note is Andrew Gear. He is responsible for writing the first book about Sergeant Reckless and really getting her in the public eye in the 1950s. He served with her in Korea, and he facilitated her return to the United States. Everybody was concerned because She was not officially owned by the Marine Corps. Eric Peterson purchased her at the racetrack, and he kept possession of her because he was concerned if he turned her over to the military that they may abandon her in Korea. She could end up as a cart horse or something like that. So when we look at Andrew Gear being buried there and General General Randolph McCall Pate being buried there, there's a cohesive story to be told for tourists that go to Arlington. It's our most sacred cemetery in the United States for military members. And it would bring a lot of attention to Korean War veterans to have her there. What about the argument that we hear time and time again? There's not enough space. We've got a huge veteran generation now. Space will be needed to be available for them in the decades in the future when they pass. Uh, Yeah. You know, what do you, what do you say to that argument that there's just not enough room? We got to save it for the humans. It's a great argument, but. It will only be one single animal. There are no other qualified animals, and she's a very important animal. Now, I respect the fact that we need to save space for humans, not just, you know, this one non-human. So Quantico is a great alternative. It's located near where uh, the National Museum of the Marine Corps is in Triangle, Virginia. And there's a statue of her there in Semper Fidelis Memorial Park. So that also is a good location for her. And Phil, I'd like to speak to that as well, because the main question is, um, why put a horse in Arlington? 
And I think the important thing to remember is she was not a horse. She was a Marine. And when she took on that rank and when she received those awards, she became emblematic of something bigger than herself. Just like when I took put on that uniform, I became emblematic of something bigger than myself. And so her rank as a staff sergeant and her awards, uh, I think that what they, what they embody deserves recognition. Great point, Dylan. Lastly, uh, let's just, Let's talk about the obvious and some of it we've kind of already hinted at, but why Sergeant Reckless and not the countless service dogs? Well, I can just say they're not qualified at this time. And if the, if any branch of the military would like to make them qualified, they have the choice to do that. But right now it's just a singular situation. There are no dogs that qualify when it comes to military working dogs. I have a lot of opinions. I feel that we need to do a better job when they're returned from service. You know, in 2000, things changed for dogs a lot when Robbie's law was enacted, which made it mandatory for dogs to be able to be put up for adoption. Because before that, they were uh, it was mandatory to euthanize them at the end of their service. They're perfectly healthy dogs in many cases. And it was just heartbreaking. President Clinton signed that. And it's been modified over the last few years. So now it's a situation where a handler should have first priority to adopt that dog. Um, but the government, the DOD, doesn't provide any benefits for that dog. When they adopt it out, they provide some, you know, make sure it's got its shots, get some dewormer, stuff like that. But for long-term care for those dogs, there isn't anything. Places like the U.S. War Dogs Association do help with that, but they are privately funded. And it's important, I think, that when these dogs come out of service, they, they're breeds that are prone to problems like German Shepherds have hip dysplasia and stuff like that and cause arthritis, that we provide some sort of benefit for that. Now, people might not like the idea of taxpayer dollars, but we're talking about a very small amount of dogs. The military only has less than 1,800 dogs in it, and then a lot of them are, work with border security and stuff like that. So I think it would be really good. Um, uh, Congressman Garamundi of... California has proposed stuff in the past, but it hasn't gone through. I would love to see there be some sort of benefit for dogs to be able to take care of them. And, you know, the, the benefit could be paid directly to the veterinarian following, following service as a, you know, reimbursement. And it's also helpful because a lot of times when guys or gals come out of the military, they want to adopt these dogs, but maybe their financial circumstances are not such that they are able to pay for all of the care that their dog needs that they served with. It's like, how could you say no to them when they need to care for their best friend? And that dog lived all of these things with those people. That dog is such a support for them. And we need to do something to change that. Point taken and love the story. And if I want more information about your quest to see to it, that she gets uh, the proper, the proper honor. Uh, where do I get more information about that? Dylan has started a change.org petition, and we're asking people to get involved by signing the petition and sharing it on social um, with their friends and try to get as many signatures as we can. I just wanted to get the recognition she deserves. One hell of a story and hell of a good cause. I can't thank you both. Jamie McLaughlin and Dylan Clark, Marine Corps veteran. Uh, just always a pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, you know, as we think of Memorial Day, just what tremendous service given to this country 
by Sergeant Reckless, a horse, but at her core, a Marine. Can't thank you both enough for your time. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Semper Reckless. Reckless was an American icon in her time, as famous as Lassie, Rin Tin Tin, Mr. Ed, and Seabiscuit. Yet, today, nobody knows her name. This is her story, an incredible story that's been lost in the pages of history until now. There will never be another horse like Reckless, and her story deserves to be told. Now, as we look ahead to the end of the school year and the start of summer, many service members will be separating from active duty and beginning their veteran journey. WalletHub.com recently analyzed the largest U.S. cities and created the Best Cities for Veterans list. Jill Gonzalez breaks down the numbers and reveals which cities rise to the top. So, yeah, this is obviously just looking not only at the best places to live, but specifically the best places to live for veterans. So we not only looked at things like the quality of life, but also healthcare, you know, VA facilities, things like that, the economy overall, employment. I mean, employment is a big one because most people that retire from the military are around 35 years old. So they are not done working at all. They really have to transfer their skills to a good environment. And right now, fortunately, the unemployment rate for vets is very low. It's 2.7% compared to 3.4% for the overall population. So that's good news. Hey, can I ask real quick when to talk about quality of life? That was the only one I had a question on. What were some of the metrics under quality of life? Quality of life is more so what you think of family friendliness, but also retiree friendliness, things like the projected veteran population and population growth that you're around like-minded people and even little things, right? Like restaurants and art and entertainment establishments that offer military discounts. Nice. All right. So there's plenty of IHOPs in these great cities. That's awesome. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about some of the metrics. Uh, I found it interesting that you could rank cities individually on each one of those metrics. And what I wanted to talk about was looking at the cities that did well by offering the highest percent of military skill related jobs. That right there is its own list. Talk to me about some of the cities that did well at offering jobs related related to their military skills. Yeah. And this was kind of all over the place. Uh, Fremont, California ranks number one in terms of military skill related jobs. And there's a pretty big difference, right? The, that number in Fremont is about twice as high as it is in, say, Las Vegas or Miami. So there's a, a big difference. Number two is Madison, Wisconsin. Three, Durham, North Carolina. Four, San Jose, California. And five, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Also, another metric I found kind of interesting was uh, low veteran unemployment. And that could either mean that obviously they love veterans and they love to hire vets or that that jobs are just plentiful. Talk to me about some of the cities that did well there. Yeah, this also kind of all over the place. Lincoln, Nebraska, Irving, Texas, Columbus, Ohio, Oklahoma City, Chesapeake, Virginia, all about 20 times better of an unemployment rate than, say, Baton Rouge, Buffalo, Detroit, Newark. So, you know, some of those places, Detroit, Newark, they do just do not have a good unemployment rate. 
kind of to begin with. So it's tough to move up. Uh, but, you know, some places, especially when we look at Irving and Columbus and Oklahoma City, they have not only just a higher chance of hiring veterans, but more veteran owned businesses. So that obviously helps as well. Great stuff. Let's get to the one that combined all of the factors. Now, again, we're looking at cities that really tested well when it came to employment, economies, quality of life and health. Let's start backwards. Let's start with the ones that didn't do so well. Yeah. As far as places that need the most improvement in terms of, you know, really being there for their veterans, we touched on some of these before, but Baton Rouge was in the bottom five, Baltimore, Memphis, Newark, New Jersey, and Detroit was number 100 here. So not just, you know, needing improvement when it comes to those employment opportunities, but across the board, you know, we looked at, especially healthcare, a lot of these places could, you know, use some improvement when it comes to VA health facilities, not just the number of them, but the quality of them as well. Um, VA benefits administration facilities, the percentage of residents, Uh, who are using these things. So that's, you know, a big factor here. Yeah. And one that stands out just because it's in my backyard, of course, Baltimore, Maryland. We're from Washington, D.C. here with this show, but Baltimore is right up the road. And yeah, I could see that where it is. It got incredible healthcare. Johns Hopkins University is in Baltimore, but maybe for the VA centric kind of healthcare, it might not be as immediately accessible and thus making Baltimore fall further down the list. Then there's some that just shine. When you crunch all the numbers, you look at all this data from quality of life to economy to healthcare. Let's go over those. Yeah, Orlando and Tampa of sixth and fifth, respectively. Madison, we've touched on, you know, a lot of good things going on there was number four. Laredo, Texas, number three. Austin, Texas, number two. And Raleigh, North Carolina was number one. Yeah, that's just, uh, that's great. Do you see any trends there when you look at the states that are consistently at the top of this list with uh, states like Florida and Texas and North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, all of them, you know, Florida, Texas, North Carolina, they're good places to retire for anyone. Uh, So, you know, that's certainly helpful when we're just looking at, you know, taxation, quality of life stuff. Uh, But when it comes to, you know, a lot of those, again, military skill related jobs, that's super helpful here. That is one thing that did boost them upwards, Uh, you know, and healthcare as well is pretty good, especially in some of the Texas cities, you, especially for vets, you have some really quality health care. It's kind of amusing, if nothing else, to look at Raleigh being number one when you think about how many Army vets spend a lot of their career at Bragg just down the street in Fayetteville. And it's like, hey, guys, look, you'll probably never leave this state. You can retire here and do really well in your next career. Um but it's cool to see Raleigh. I got family down there. And uh, yeah, from there on down to Southern Pines and the Pinehurst area, it is a great state for vets. You really can't drive through North Carolina. Have you ever spent any time in North Carolina? You can't drive through North Carolina and not see a car that's got a vet sticker on it. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of it. You know, a lot of people choose to stick around to where they were stationed for a long time. And that's what you see with, with honestly, a lot of these cities that did you know, well in the top 20. Um, But yeah, you know, you kind of stick to what you know. And because of that, there is a very high population of veterans. And it's kind of, you know, like a cyclical thing, because there are more vets, the surrounding area makes sure that it's a good place for vets, and then more vets go. 
Was there anyone that stood out? And I'm looking at a Western state here that I just wouldn't think of as far as a state that I might retire to or I might find a great second career in. But uh, it's not Wyoming. It's not Montana. It's over in that neck of the woods. Does that one kind of stand out to you? And what do you suspect was great about that? It does. It's interesting. So we went over the top six. Number seven is Boise. And Boise has kind of, I don't think that it was in the top 10 previous couple of years, but it's kind of had this resurgence, especially during the pandemic where, you know, people get out there, they have wide open spaces. They're able to live off the land a little bit more, kind of be off the grid, have more space to themselves if they are doing a remote job. So Boise has had a resurgence. I think it's still getting used to it. You know, the employment factors are there for vets. The quality of life is there for vets. Healthcare leaves a little bit to be desired. So that's why it's not in the top five, but I would look for it to make it there shortly. Idaho. It's a beautiful place, especially that quality of life, man. You want to get out and do some hiking, some biking, uh, skiing, just all year round, man. Boise is a great, great spot. But Raleigh, North Carolina, coming in the number one best city for veterans to live, and it is all available for you at wallethub.com. Jill Gonzalez, always appreciate you helping us uh, figure out how to live our best life according to the numbers. Anytime. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye on Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.